0: Well, good morning. If you haven't been blessed already, your blesser's broken. (laughs) Psalm 46. We're just going to continue what God's already started here this morning. Psalm 46. You know, we can even be a Christian and we can miss God in our lives. We can have a Christian home, and that home can miss God. We can be a church filled with God's people and yet miss God. And we do that when God is not prominent in our lives, in our homes, and in our church, where we sort of make it about him in some way, but it's, it's sort of, he's on the periphery. He, he's on the, the edge. He's sort of shoved out and other things begin to become more prominently placed in our church, in our home, and in our lives. And we have to always fight to come back and and make God prominent in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, whatever. And that's what we're going to do even today. Because this psalm is teaching us something really important. And that is when God is all we have, God is all we need. This psalmist is urging us to trust God when the rest of the world has gone crazy. And I don't know about you, but it looks like it's headed there real quickly. And we need, especially as God's people, to make sure that our lives are are centered in him and that he is, he is the most prominent person, the most prominent relationship that we have in our lives. You'll notice even before we get into the psalm itself, again, the directions to the music director or the worship leader, the the Nicole, if you will. This is for her to take and then use with God's people to worship God. And notice something here a little bit differently than some of the other psalms. It is to be done according to the Alamoth style. I studied this and I came to the conclusion that that is speaking about the voices that should be singing this song. If you've ever been part of a choir or a a choral type setting, you'll understand that this is not then for the basses. Sorry, Phil, you and I are out. This is not even for the baritones. This is not for the altos. This is for the high voices. This is for the sopranos, if you will, of the group. This is who's supposed to sing. And and I began to think, "I, I wonder why that is. And then I thought, well, when you start looking at the message of this psalm it's almost like there's all this noise going on in our lives and in the world and it takes sometimes those high voices to cut through it all to pierce through all the other voices and all the things that are going on and to be that powerful voice that really speaks to us I think that's maybe why this psalm or song is to be sung by the high voices only This psalm divides very nicely into three parts. You get that by the word selah that is used at the end of verse 3, the first part, then at the end of verse 7, and then obviously at the end of verse 11, the last verse. Selah is simply a, a device that was used during worship or during songs to take a pause. To say, now let's stop for a moment Let's pause long enough to absorb what we have just sung or what we have just sang about, and let's consider this a little bit deeper. Let's let's let our minds not go on to the next verse. Let's pause, stop, and think about this. What is the first thing, then, that the psalmist wants us to stop, consider, and think about? It is this. Whatever the catastrophe, God is enough. Now, this psalm is actually very apocalyptic. What I mean by that is the psalmist is wanting to take all of us into the future. Okay? And he actually is taking us into the future to a time that the Bible calls sort of the the great tribulation and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. When when we think things are bad now, no, this is when things are really bad. When they are the worst it's ever going to be on this earth before the Lord Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. And the reason they want to take us there is because it's like they want to build their argument from worst case scenario. If, if God can be enough in the worst of circumstances, then obviously God can be enough at all times, in any situations and through anything, right? If, if God can handle us at the lowest time of our life, whenever we're going through the most difficult time in our life that we were, if we believe that God can do that, then everything else we know he can handle too. And we will then live in dependence and reliance upon him because we know that he can be trusted when our lives or the rest of the world is going crazy. So the first picture that the psalmist begins to build for us and something you and I obviously have become aware of here again in the last couple of weeks with this own massive hurricane, although thank the Lord that it didn't hit as Much as it could have done damage, the poor people in the Bahamas certainly felt the brunt of that. But on the mainland of our country, a lot of folks were spared. But the psalmist wants to paint for us the picture in the future of this catastrophe, this cataclysmic earthquake that's going to happen. That literally the Bible says is going to change the topography of the earth. And they want to take us there to show us that when catastrophe, some great earthquake, some some great storm comes into our lives and touches us, that God is enough. Notice the first three verses. God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. For this reason, we do not fear when the earth shakes and the mountains tumble into the depths of the sea. You ever been in an earthquake? You ever been in an earthquake where you actually saw a mountain fall into the ocean? No. So this is bad. This is really bad. This isn't just a shaking, like we know a shaking earthquake. This is literally God is changing the topography of the earth and mountains are literally moving in front of people's eyes. And the psalmist is saying, even when the mountains tumble into the depths of the sea and when its waves crash and foam and the mountains shake before the surging sea, God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. Whatever the catastrophe that you and I will experience in this life, whatever will be the worst we ever experienced, the psalmist wants us to understand something. Our God is enough. And and here's the thing. The reason why I started off this message by saying that as a Christian we can miss God and as a, as a house full of Christians we can miss God and as a church we can be missing God is because we can know God as our Savior. And we can know him up here sort of intellectually and we can have all this knowledge. But there also comes that point where we truly, I mean truly, our heart rests in God where we really do have the faith and the belief that no matter what is happening, God's got it, and he's got us, and he's enough. Because the psalmist, first of all, is saying, not God was or not God will be. Notice he says in verse 1, God is and he is, meaning he's always present. It's not about the God of the past for us. It's not about even the God of of the future and who he will be. He wants us to know right now. And so right even in this moment, right now, what time is it? I guess I should look back there. 10.38, Sunday morning, September the 8th, 2019. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what's going on. But the psalmist wants us all to recognize the fact that God is enough for us right now. Right now. He's present. He's here. And notice the language. He's, first of all, our strong refuge. It means he's our shelter. He's our hiding place. He's our stronghold. He's the one that is our safe place. We know that we can go to him and that no matter what storm is going on around us, no matter what mountains are being thrown into the ocean, God is my safe place, and I can go and be wrapped up in him. And no matter what is going on around me, I can feel secure and I can feel safe because he is my refuge. The strongest of refuges, in fact, really the only true refuge that you and I could ever have. He also says he is truly our helper the one who supports us, the one who will assist us in our times of trouble. In fact, you and I could have no better helper, no one who could aid us or support us or assist us better than the Lord of the universe, the God who is enough. And God is saying to each of us today, again, I am here right now to help you, to support you in whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with. I will hold you up like nothing or no one else can. But do you trust me? We, again, we can know God, but is he he prominent enough in our lives? Do, Do we know him through our worship and our fellowship and our connection enough to truly know him well enough to rest ourselves in him, even when the worst of catastrophes is happening around us, or to us in our lives. Because notice in verse 2, he says, if we truly know this God, the God that this psalmist knew, that he could trust even if he saw mountains beginning to tumble into the sea, then he says, we won't have any fear And that's how I knew in my own life for a while that God was not prominent in my life and I was not worshiping the God of the Bible as I should because even though I knew him as my Savior, I still lived my life in fear. And many of you, you say, oh, I believe in God. Is there any fear in your life? I believe in God. He's my Savior. Yeah, but are you trying to control everything in your life? Because what God wants us to get to the point is that you can't control everything. You can't plan as a human being for every contingency and everything. Eventually, you've got to get to the place But this psalmist got to where no matter what catastrophe, I'm resting in my God and who he is. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to stop trusting even in myself. I'm going to stop trusting in everything else. And I'm going to trust in him. He is. He is. My helper. He is. My stronghold, my Shelter my refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. And again, we can sing about this God in our worship songs. We can read about him in the Bible. We can know him in our head, but do we truly come to a place in our life where we really, we don't just say it, We know it, we believe it, and we live it. Whatever the catastrophe, God, you are enough. You are enough. So that's the first scene. This scene of great climactic change, a great cataclysmic earthquake that takes place on the earth, Mountains are literally moving in front of people's eyes, but that's not where the psalmist stops. He then wants to take us again into the future, and he wants us to see primarily the land of Israel, but even more than that, the city of Jerusalem, which the Bible says will one day be literally surrounded by the enemies of Israel. And so notice what he begins to say in verse 4. First of all, he describes the river, the one water supply that Jerusalem has. The river's channels bring joy to the city of God. The city of God always refers into the Bible as Jerusalem. It is called the special holy dwelling place of, again, notice the wording That describes God here he is the sovereign one it means he is the most high he is the highest think about even the song of the angels announcing the birth of Christ glory to God in the what highest highest no one higher than God No one greater than God. He is the sovereign, ruler, master of the universe that he created. And yet, mankind is looking here at this time in history at the nation of Israel, and it doesn't look good. The nations of the world have turned against the land of Israel, and Jerusalem itself is surrounded by its enemies. But notice what he says in verse 5. God lives within it. It cannot be moved. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be overthrown. It is a picture of absolute stability. And so the second thing the psalmist wants us to see today is not only whatever the catastrophe, God, is enough, but whatever the crisis in our life, God is enough. Do you want to talk about crisis, here, here's a crisis that literally is of global proportions, if you will. Here is a, a, a situation where it looks like the land of Israel is literally going to be blown off the map of the earth once and for all. That all those who hate Israel and hate what it represents and what it stands for has now finally united against it. And it doesn't look like it has a chance, right? It is one little tiny nation in the Middle East against all the other nations that surround it. And they've now militarily come against it. They have fortified their forces. They have joined armies. And they have now surrounded it and besieged the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Doesn't look good, right? That's a crisis. But notice the psalmist says, God rescues it at the break of dawn. Nations are in an uproar. It means they're making a lot of noise. That's literally what the word means. The nations of the world are making a lot of noise, especially at this time. Although, again, even in our day, we could say the same thing, right? The nations of the world are making a lot of noise. Kingdoms are being overthrown. And even as we speak, we've seen even in our lifetime how kingdoms and nations are overthrown and names are changed and all of this. In fact, I was saying to someone the other day, when I studied geography way back in the 10th grade, when I was in the 10th grade, a lot of the names of countries and nations have changed since I was in 10th grade. They have different names now. They're different People have taken them over. Exactly, it's going to get even worse as it moves towards the end of time as we know it. But notice what the psalmist says next in verse 6. He wants to remind us not only of the power of God himself in his person, but the power of God's word. And he says, all God has to do is give a shout, and guess what? Everything changes. The earth dissolves and melts. Basically, all the armies and all the nations of the world that came against Jerusalem, done, boom, gone. One word from God, and they're turned away. One word from God, and they're conquered. One word from God, and they're defeated. That's why even, and I've said this before when we've studied prophecy, we call it the Battle of Armageddon, but it's really not a battle at all. A battle implies that there's actually fighting going on. There's not going to be any fighting during the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon simply describes something where the nations of the world have surrounded Israel and surrounded Jerusalem, just as the psalmist saw many years into the future, and yet Jesus comes in all of his glory and basically one word from him, and it's done. And the psalmist wants us to understand that's, the power of our God. That's who our God is. All he has to speak is a word and everything changes. I want us to stop and think about that for a moment. Are we allowing the word of God to literally speak over us in our lives and take control of our lives no matter what the crisis, realizing that God is enough? Because, as the Bible teaches us, there are times where all God will do is speak a word and the circumstances will change. If God says that's enough, it will be enough because everything in the universe has to come under and surrender itself and submit itself to whatever God says. And all God has to do is speak the word and it changes. But sometimes God chooses not to change the circumstances or the crisis. But God's word is still just as powerful because God wants to speak a word into us or over us. And instead of, as I've said before, calming the storm, maybe all God wants to do is calm his child and say to us, Son, did you forget who I am? I am telling you, I am your strong refuge. I am truly your helper in times of trouble. And I am speaking my word over you. Don't be insecure. Don't be unstable. Don't be restless. Don't be filled with fear. I am the sovereign God of the universe recognize who I am and rest in me. Trust in me when the world or your life is going crazy. Because notice what he says in verse 7. Do we not understand that the Lord of hosts, the Lord who commands armies, is on our side? The God of Jacob is our protector, literally our security oh my goodness, again, as churches and and as as Christian homes and as Christians, we need to get this. Because we live in such an insecure, fearful world where there's so much restlessness and so much unstableness, so much instability in society and in people's lives. And, And if any group of people should be able to navigate the catastrophes and crises of life, it should be God's people. Because being able to navigate these things isn't the absence of them, it's in the midst of whenever it's even the worst it could possibly be, we are to represent our God that he is enough for us. No matter how bad it gets. That's why for many years, you know, I hear Christians saying, well, could it get any worse on earth and what it is and I wonder how how bad it's going to get before the Lord comes back. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I know this, no matter how bad it gets on earth for God's people before he comes and takes us to himself, he's enough for us. <laughs> and we don't have to fear no matter what no matter what happens on earth we do not have to fear see that's why this psalm needed to be included in the worship series because how can we truly worship God when we don't acknowledge him for who he is our worship then becomes a little hollow if God is not exalted and magnified for who he really is, if he's not recognized for who he really is. In fact, isn't it by obviously getting to a place where we begin to see God for who he really is that really inspires and motivates our worship? I don't know about you, but I want to worship a God that I know no matter what is going to happen to me, my family, this church, uh, this country, whatever, that my God's got me, he's got us, he's got my family, he's got everything, and I can trust him when the rest of the world goes crazy. That's a God I want to worship. And that's a God I will worship. Because that means it doesn't matter how difficult the situation, how desperate the circumstances, I know that my God is enough. So whatever the catastrophe, God is enough. Whatever the crisis, God is enough. But notice now, beginning in verse 8, he takes us to one last scene. And it is this scene sort of at the end now of the great battle, if you will, of Armageddon, where he wants us to come out as as the people of God, and he literally wants to put the scene of the battlefield before us. He, He wants us literally to see the results of the battle. Why does he want us to do that? So that we, again, will come to this understanding. Whatever is coming, whatever the future holds, And all of us have a future that we don't know what's coming in our lives. Just as Tony pointed out this morning, that dear young lady didn't know that that was going to be her last day on earth. Like any of us, we don't know what our future holds. And even as Christians... Or even as a church, we can sit around wringing our hands and worried about what if this and what if that and I don't know about this and I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this and I'm, I'm upset about that and I'm fearful about that and there's so much insecurity and hopelessness and instability and that's the world we live in. Why? Because their future is uncertain because they're not connected to or related to the God in whose hands the future holds. which is why, very interestingly to me, it is no accident that Tony was led to share what he did today, and Nicole was led by God to share what she did today. There may need to be someone here that just needs to finally say, God, I'm resting in you once and for all. I'm tired of living my life in my own strength, trying to figure everything out, trying to be in control of the uncontrollable, try to think of every contingency. God, it's exhausting me. I am spiritually, emotionally, and physically exhausted trying to take care and, and keep secure everything and everyone in my life. I am tired of it, God. I'm just going to put it all on you and rest in you, God, because you're enough. And that's why the psalmist takes us to the battlefield, and I want you to see what he saw through the revelation of the Lord. He says, come, people of God, witness the exploits or the work of the Lord who brings devastation to the earth, but he does so in order to bring true peace to the earth. Do you get that? Because notice what he says. He brings an end finally to wars throughout the earth. Did you catch that? He shatters the bow. He breaks the spear. He burns the shields with fire. It's exactly what the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah speak about. When it says, when the Lord comes back, the nations of the world will turn their implements of war into basically instruments of agriculture. They will turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. By the way, do you know that that verse is on the United Nations out front in New York City? They don't believe that, but it's there. (laughs) They think somehow that the people of the world are going to be able to bring peace to this earth. No, 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 my friends. Only the Prince of Peace, when he comes, will bring true peace. And when he comes, because he is enough, He's going to be able to not only vindicate his people and set everything, but he's going to be able to get all the nations off their high horse, get all the leaders where they need to be under his rule, under his submission, and there will never be war again. In fact, the Bible says even the nations of the world will not even train for war anymore because there will be peace once and for all under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what's coming. And so the psalmist is saying, you get it, right? The future is in the very capable hands of our God, the one who is enough for anything. And if God has the future of this world in his hands, if God has the future of the universe that he created in his hands, and he's reigning, and he's ruling, and he's got it, and he's in control, then whatever is our future, as a church, as individuals, as families, as as friends, whatever our future is, we can trust that if God's got the universe under control, and the, the future is is going to be exactly what God spoke it to be, then God's got our future too. And if he's capable to handle the universe's future and the world's future, he's certainly capable to handle my future. I can trust him. I can rest in him. Which is why verse 10 is one of my favorite verses for me personally in all the word of God. He, God says, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. Two things. One, this can actually be read as God speaking, first of all, to his enemies before he speaks to his children. In other words, you can take these words as God saying to all the kingdoms of the earth that have surrounded Jerusalem and surrounded his people and all of that silence, I will reign. And the reason I say that is because notice the very next verse or part of verse 10 God says, I will be exalted. <laughs> I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted over... And there's no chance that that's not going to happen. You see, you see God in all of his surety, and all of his confidence. He can say these things because he's got the power to bring it about. The Bible talks about even all the nations, if they came together like a drop in the bucket compared to God... You put all the power of all the nations on earth together and even if somehow we could all unite against God, all God would have to do is speak one word or even make a breath and we're gone. We're gone. We are nothing compared to God. And so, first of all, God could be speaking verse 10 to his enemies going, sorry guys, I'm taking over and there's not a thing you can do about it. That actually should warm the heart of every Christian who sits here and thinks somehow, oh my goodness, I wonder how all this is going to turn out. In fact, can I tell you, a very deadly, damning theology is permeating itself around our seminaries and Bible colleges even today where ministers and missionaries and Christian workers are being trained. And you know what it is? that somehow God finds out about these things at the same time we do. That, that God doesn't really know ahead of time of what's going to happen, but the, the cool thing about God is he's got a few more resources to handle it, so somehow when something springs on him, he can, like, take some time and, and finally get it figured out. Do you understand how that demeans who God really is? That takes God from the exalted position of the universe that he knows what's going to happen way before it happens. Nothing takes God by surprise, not only in this world, but in our lives. He's more than capable of handling it because he already knows what's coming before it happens. That's why he's able to be such a security and such a strong refuge and such a stronghold for us. He's not somebody like us that just automatic all all of a sudden's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Now I gotta try to figure out how to deal with it. See, God continues even amongst what we would call our Christian circles to be brought down lower and lower and lower. And that's why worship, the way worship should be happening in our lives as Christians and and in the life of our churches, is not happening to the degree and to the height that it should, because we keep trying to bring God down rather than put him up. God says, I will be exalted. The only question is, are we going with him? Are we going to recognize, as he says in verse 10, who he is? But secondly, verse 10 can also be addressed to God's people. And what God could be saying there to his people is, Be settled. Settle down. Don't you know who I am? Stop being so unstable. Stop being so restless. Stop being so filled with fear. Stop being so insecure. Don't you recognize that I am God? Be settled. And can I say, if you take the last five words of the middle phrase of verse 10, that's really where worship starts, recognizing that he is God. That's worship. Not a little God. Not a God that, yeah, has most of it under control and all that. No, the biggest, greatest, most majestic full of splendor, God, you and I could even imagine. And guess what? Whatever our minds conceive of, God's still way beyond that. Way beyond that. And that's why then he ends by repeating, the Lord who commands armies is on our side. The God of Jacob is our protector and security. Selah. Stop, pause, think about that. How does recognizing who God really is, how does that change my life right now? How does that change my outlook on life? How does that change my perspective? It should change everything. See, recognizing who God really is changes everything. And that's, that's where worship really starts. Because our churches can be filled with people who come and we worship God and we stand and we sing, but we can just sort of be going through the motions. We can be just checking boxes off and just doing what everybody else around us is doing. But when you and I truly come to know the God of Psalm 46, the God that no matter what catastrophe, I know it, he's enough. Whatever the crisis, he is enough. Whatever is coming in my life and in this world's life, he is enough. If, when I come to know that God, you can't stop worship. There will be so much going on within the heart and soul and spirit of a person who truly understands this God, you won't be able to stop us from worshiping him, both individually and as a church. We won't be able to, you know, keep the doors shut because people will want to come to a church where God is prominent and where we experience His person and His presence and where it's not about us anymore. It's about Him, and it's about exalting Him and celebrating Him, lifting Him up. Because the more we do that, the more we actually put ourselves in a better place. The more secure, the more stable, Fear will be gone from our lives. Restlessness, all that will be washed away when we come to truly know and recognize that he is God. That's what I'm going to ask today. I'm going to ask that you just allow the God that we've just talked about, to wash over you today. If you brought fear into this room, guess what? Before you leave, that fear can be gone. You brought unsettledness and, and, and restlessness into this room, that can be washed away before you leave here today. You brought a lot of insecurity, it can be gone by simply standing under the presence and the person of the God of Psalm 46 and truly recognizing him once and for all for who he is. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray today that as we stand under your very magnificent presence, God, that our fears would be calmed that our insecurities, our restlessness, our unsettledness would all be done away. God, that as your people, we would stop striving, exhausting ourselves, taking on more than you ever meant for us to take on. And God, that once and for all, we would totally rest our full weight of our whole life on you. God, through this time of worship, help us to recognize who you are, God, and to release, to allow you to set us free from all those things, God, that are pulling us down earthward and to be able to mount up with wings like eagles and to fly above it all and to fly away with you, God. Do a work, God, amongst us today. As we look to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.